And that music means that it's time for this podcast, which you have tuned into because you're just a good person. And you know, it's December and you want to kill some time. And I'm Greg White. And joining me as always is Jason Pridmore for this podcast. And this podcast is sponsored by bike911.com. Go to the website, check it out if you need some legal advice. Alex Asante is your guy, bike911.com. Jason Pridmore, how you going, mate? G-dub. I'm good. I'm good. It uh, rained overnight here, so it's been a big week in the old Pridmore household. Mom's on a winning streak, so that's always a good thing. Racking up the pennies and penny slot. Well, you don't even know. I should have sent it to you because I know you're just a big slot guy, but she went over to... How's this for a little time trend? She goes over to uh, Agua Caliente in Palm Springs with one of her girlfriends last Friday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm out playing golf Friday afternoon. Phone rings. It's my mom. Hi, honey. Hi, mom. She just hit a jackpot. 14,700. Pennies. No, dollars. No shot. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Hits it for 14,700. And they're, they, so. How do you keep that from me? I don't know. I meant to send you the photo of it. It's a great picture. It's a great photo. We're not friends anymore. Anyway, go ahead. Maybe, maybe anyways. So break up with me and I don't know about it. No, no, no. We're still good. And I, I can't believe I didn't. Yeah. It was my own fault. So anyways, so she hits it. They, they come, you know, security comes and all these people are, my mom's like all these people like started coming up and just like touching her for luck. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, so much for the COVID restrictions. So they're touching her. (laughs) I've had that happen. Yeah. So anyways, so she, she gets a check for a lump sum of like 14 grand or whatever. And then she's, she, or, and they give her like 700 cash. They did something. Anyway, she ends up having like $12 left in this machine and she hits it again for a thousand. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Dude, that is like the one thing you always do when you hit is if you have money left in the machine, you just play it a couple times and then you bail. Oh, listen, now we got Greg White, casino master. Hey, you know, what did I hit for in uh, at the rage? 1800 bucks. I can't believe you won at that place. I got enough. I know I got enough money where you see what happens is your mom wins. The lights are going off and then the, the attendant finally comes up. Oh, congratulations. This is amazing. And people are huddled around. She has to give them their ID. Has to give them her social security number. See, and my mom off. didn't have to do that, which was interesting. She didn't have to do taxes on this thing. I think it's like when you get to a certain amount of money. Oh, she didn't really get a weird. W, she didn't get no, a W two G. Didn't get any of it. So maybe she just you know, my mom's breaking the law. Oh, Who I knows? Want, maybe because it's on Indian land. Possibly. I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't I know. know. Anyways, I, she I got one winning. in Washington this year. So and this is this is I can't even make this up. So and I know you'll appreciate this. I'm so I literally I'm in this golf cart talking to my mom. I I hit. I hang up the phone. I've got like 60 yards out into this par five uphill. I hit my shot and it goes in the hole. Make three on it. I make three, like literally within two <laughs> minutes after getting the call from my mom, I make three on this par five. So yeah, it was a good day. Mom had a great time. Um, I can't believe I didn't tell you this. I'm such a loser, but yeah. So no. she's on a winning streak. So she's this morning I've got up, I've gone and, Checked her tire pressures in her car and filled up her tank full of fuel, and she's on her way up to the casino again today to go. Did you give her a budget though? And she say, said, "Ma, you got a thousand to spend." Oh no, no, stop. she's good. She says to me on the way, "We're on our way home." Last night, we went down to John Moshe's restaurant. Caroline was here, as you mm-hmm. know, so she came in just to visit for a little bit, and so we all went down to Moshe's restaurant. And I'm, you know, me driving in LA. You know what I think of that place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I driving. Do. I'm driving home. You know, an hour long trip has taken us almost two hours, and then. 
I just want to get home. That's all I want to do. And my mom says, honey, do you think we could stop and I could get my fantasy five? You know, and <laughs> I'm like, with the streak that we're on right now, mom, yeah, let's just <laughs> go by 20. We, we'll, we'll add an extra 20 minutes. So, yeah. Anyways, it was, it, it's, yeah. All right, listen, week. we know you tuned in to really yeah, listen to us talk this, about everybody. motorcycle racing, but yeah, Jason and I haven't caught up in a while, as you can tell, probably since last week's podcast, just a couple texts here and there because we did watch some racing over the weekend. But in this podcast, we're going to talk some Arai news, and then we're going to talk about what happened in Australian Superbike because normally we don't get to watch it. We did because Jack Miller was there, MotoGP was racing a domestic series. We're going to talk about that. If you want to support the channel, go to patreon.com slash Greg's Garage TV uh, you want to just talk about what's going on next week now? We I mean, we might as well because uh, it's it's pretty exciting. Next week on this podcast, we're going to have Johnny Ray here um, like live. I think we're going to get him live, Jay. So Jason yeah, and Johnny will be able to have a conversation. I know a lot of you love the conversation that Jason was able to have with Cameron Bobier. And um, so that was, you know, how people were like, Greg, can you please shut up and let Jason and and Cameron talk more and Greg talk less. And so we have a lot of that scheduled for Johnny Ray. As Jason just sent me a picture of his mom with that. Oh, that is just awesome. Great, I'm so pumped. It? Yeah. Uh, that's you know, a- the thing is, is that, is that uh, Greg, um, it would have been the other night I'm laying there, you know me, I sometimes can't sleep very well. And at four eighteen in the morning, I just checked my phone to see what time it was. And, you know, eyes are always a little bit blurry that, you know, it's dark out. And I look and there's a, you know, right on the face of my phone, there's a text message from Johnny and, saying that he listened to the podcast and, you know, hey, I'm ready to come on whenever you guys want me type of thing. <laughs> I'm just laughing. I'm like, that's pretty great. So, Johnny, thank you. I know he just got back. It looked like from the FIM gala they did for the uh, all the, um, you know, top three guys and all that. I saw that. I saw that on yeah, his they Instagram. Yeah, they did 2020 and 2021 because of COVID. Oh, is that so what they Johnny did? Johnny okay, was there, got, got his medal for 2020 and top oh, rack and so okay. on. Yeah, so yep. it was a it was a pretty big event because of that, and yeah. it looked it looked great. I know Johnny amazing. got the flying in the helicopter and all that stuff, and that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, well, I think it's good. Uh, you know, I wanted to give it a week because I want to be able to write down some questions and talk to him. And you know, I got to spend some time with him this year. And there's no better place to spend time with somebody than on a golf course. I think you really get to learn a little bit more about who they are, what their personality kind of is, and that kind of thing. And it and it gave me a different perspective on him than what most people get to see. And the fact that he's gracious enough to come on here uh, and and discuss some things with us, I think will be fun. So we'll have him on here next Monday. It looks like whenever we do our podcast, and and it'll be a it'll be fun to have him on there. So thank you to him. Yep. But right now it's time for the news presented by Arai. All right. So the holiday season is here. You need to go find yourself an Arai helmet. Go down to your local dealer and go try on a helmet. If fitment is crucial for any helmet. And Arai makes it super easy to fit your helmet to your head. They have all kinds of adjustments inside there, including your cheek pads have five millimeter layers that if it's a little too snug in the cheeks, you can just peel that layer off and give yourself a little bit more room. Whether you are new to Arai or whether you gained a little bit of weight over COVID or whatever, go check out AraiAmericas.com for more information on fitment, color, how they make these things by hand, all kinds of stuff. AraiAmericas.com. That's pretty good, huh? That was all off pretty the good. Cuff. No Last read, week. nothing, you know? Well, after 200 episodes, I would hope that you'd have that down. So nice work, GW. <laughs> it's a great actor. Well, Jason, I'm going to start this first topic off because <laughs> yeah. uh, if you don't follow Jason Pridmore on Twitter, then 
you probably should because <laughs> you got a, you got a little angry about Formula One. And the reason this topic is in here is because last week MotoGP announced that it is going to have its own docuseries on Amazon in the similar vein to the hugely successful Drive to Survive Formula One. The question I have is, is it too late? But since we're on the topic of Formula One, the docuseries, the docuseries that's on Netflix absolutely bolstered Formula One viewership. There were people that I know that didn't watch any racing that flew to Austin to go to the Formula One race because of the docuseries. So what do you want to talk about first, this docuseries or Formula One? And what a yeah, I was proof this week that sometimes idiots hold phones too close to themselves when they're watching something that's getting them a little animated. But I'll tell you right <laughs> now, if the if the docuseries that MotoGP does gets watched and followed by the same people that got drawn to F1, F1 will be at a loss because I don't understand the F1 thing. I, I What are people entertained by? Is it the drama? Is it the politics behind it all? Because there's no racing. The racing sucks. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's really not any fun. It's all, you know, I, it's all race data guys talking to the driver about whatever, and then race control controlling everything that happens. And you sit there and you watch the stuff and there is literally nothing better than watching an F1 car from the nose. Like when they're in qualifying, going around a circuit like Saudi Arabia, it just looks like a sped up video game. It is insane how cool it is. And the cars are amazing. And the actual show, like all of that is, it's great. But the racing is the, is the worst part of the whole thing. It's it's not even racing. I tried this year. I tried to watch a little bit of Coda and was bored. And then I saw Brazil. And when I got on the Brazil telecast, again, I watched maybe five laps of it. And everybody was spread out by six, seven, eight seconds, nine seconds. And then this race, it, you just knew it was going to be a shit show because the track, the track, super, super fast, very hard to pass on. And it, yeah, I mean, Greg, you, ha- you kind of had to see it and watch it to really understand. But it's, you got two drivers that are miles ahead of everybody. The dr- and, and then it's just kind of all drama. So my question is, is that what are you attracted to with it? Because if you really watch MotoGP or you watch a World Superbike, and I know I'm biased because I'm a motorcycle guy, but it's real racing. Motorcycle. Moto three. You watch I've said this on this stuff. podcast a thousand times. If you say you're a race fan and you're not watching Moto three, you're not really a race fan. Yeah, and there's probably like Formula two or whatever it is that we're not watching uh, car wise. Um, that like Dewan's kid is racing in, and Emerson Fittipaldi's kid is racing in. Some of that might be amazing, but F one to me is all politics. They're spending 140 million dollars, I think, is what Mercedes budget is this year, and they're spending all this money, but the racing is horrendous and i always just i think it's funny because why do people watch professional wrestling it's not because the wrestling it's because of the soap opera stories that are behind it it's that's where that's where formula one is now and that's where f1 is to me and i'm sitting there going i'm watching i am literally watching professional wrestling on wheels because it just it's as a purist as a guy who loves racing i'm watching this and i'm like what could anybody really be seeing in this when you look at the cars on the grid they look stunning when you watch qualifying, it's pretty fun to watch qualifying, but it's, it's uh, yeah. Anyways. So I, I went mean, to Twitter. I mean, they, when they, I go to, I, when I go I to places like crash.net that reports on F1 or, you know, mm-hmm, sites mm-hmm. that report on both, it's just 
so much of it is just this driver said this about this driver and this is going on and this person switching teams. And I mean, you know, the only possibility that things change is kind of what we have coming up with the day, Daytona 200 are pit stops. The difference is the Daytona 200 is a once a year thing. And so you, there's a lot more margin for error for teams that are doing pit stops. Most teams practice their pit stops starting Thursday, you know, yeah. like nobody's doing them. And then you're, you have to do pit stops on Saturday. So, you know, in F1, to me, it, it, it's it's hardly about the driver anymore. It's about race control. It's about engineers. It's about strategy. Yeah. How much yeah. fuel do we have? How yeah. much tire? What are we going to do here? And to you know, so it's it's difficult as a race fan. But yeah, what's drive driving people to be enthused about the sport is something that I've been saying for the last twenty six years: is take the helmet off the rider slash driver, yep. showcase personalities, get people to root for them, and that's where you are. Plus, I think that that F1 is a bit of a legacy sport in the sense that when F1 really was racing, was exciting, was really like death defying. Like, yep, I mean, yep. there were people dying in F1 seems like on the regular in the 1960s and the seventies and the early eighties, yeah, I mean, you know what yeah. I mean? Yep. And it, you have people that grew up with their, with their parents that watched it that became fanatical about it, that know about it. And it is the number one motorsport in the world for a reason. They've done a good job, but it does feel like that in a way, especially they, with the things I rivalry, heard about race got control. A rivalry between the two biggest teams, which is mm -hmm. great. Um, so they got the rivalries and they've got kind of the young up and coming guy taking on, you know, Lewis. So Verstappen looks like he's got a little edge to him in the sense that he doesn't really give a shit, which I like. I mean, there's a, there's there's storylines there, but I'm saying like, just, like here's the thing and, for me, Jay. I don't watch <laughs> F1, but I watch every documentary that's come out in the last couple of years there you about go. F1. Yeah. And then and then when you watch a race, it's probably going to be a letdown because it's yeah. And they and they're going to the final race tied in points, so it's 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 kind of played itself out. But when you watch this race, it's um, you know, there's three restarts because at, at this track specifically, there were. Um, they basically, oh, there was they, three restarts. Oh yeah. There was three restarts. Cause if you crashed here, there was nowhere for anybody to go. So it's uh, dropping all carbon and everywhere all over the racetrack. So they got to clear it up. And it's like, um, I, the, the one thing I, I do like about F1, I love the virtual, the virtual pace car, um, safety car, because what it is, is if there's a piece of debris out on the racetrack, rather than pull the field all together and get the safety car out rolling and have those guys roll around for a couple laps. They've got a thing where it cuts everything down to 40 to where they can only drive to 40%. And oh. so it gives a corner worker a chance to rip out real quick, run and grab whatever might be on the track. And then boom, just like that, it's green again. It's not like it's, mm -hmm. so there are parts of it that, that, that I liked. I, I just, I literally tried to sit down and watch a whole race. And when I, and it was, it was my, uh, Sunday morning before NFL and all that. Cause I had a nice day at home and I'm like, I'm going to sit down and watch this and, Caroline had talked about the Netflix documentary and how it drew her into watching F1. So I'm like, all right, I'm sold. I'll try to watch it. And I just literally, I could, I, I did watch it, but I, <laughs> I had a hard time making it through it. Yeah. Hence, you're not, you're not invested Twitter. though in the people, you know what I'm saying? Like I, after I, you watch the Hamilton documentary about him and his dad and how he grew up and stuff like that. Like, I think I watched, you know, I, I, I started watching qualifying and stuff. You I'm know, a and, huge, I'm a huge race fan though. You know that. Yeah, I can, No, I know. And just, that's the thing. I it's go not down to the really fairgrounds and watch sprint car racing and yeah. be just as invested as I could be in anything else. Cause I like watching, I like watching racing. Well, the other thing I like a, about watching F1, especially when it was on NBC and Lee Diffie was doing it since he's a friend, mm -hmm. is I like to watch other racing series to listen to what the commentators are doing True. 
to, to try to say, okay, what can, what can we do better as a, as a team in the booth or what can I do better as a commentator? So sometimes that stuff is good, but when it, you know, that I only need, I only need a sample size, right? Like I don't need to sit around. Anyway, it, it is I, what I it think, is. And I think that the commentators now do a fine job. I mean, that, that was never even really in question for me. There was some, some things that I caught that I was like questioning, but, but that wasn't that the problem is, is that if you and I were calling that race, it, it there'd be too much honesty. Yeah, I know. I, I just feel like that there's, the that's why we thing, wouldn't be doing it. We'd get to do it one race and then we'd be fired. But that's, <laughs> but honestly, and not to, to pump up the people that, that, that we work for, but they give us, they give us some rope to, to be able to, to hang ourselves a little bit, if you will. I mean, we could say kind of what we want, but we've got the, I feel like we've got the respect of most people in the paddock and we're not going to just say something. So when you say something, it's going to be somewhat relevant. And I mm-hmm. think that when you watch this stuff, it's really, really hard to commentate on so much controversial crap because you're in the booth and you're constantly waiting for the little red light to come on that race control's doing this or race control's doing that. Mm. A lot of their job is to just tell people what race control just got done doing. And it's it's hard to commentate that, I would reckon. It almost feels to me that it's gone the WWE route in I, terms well, that's, of... Well, that's what I said, yeah. 100%, yeah, and, right? and, and that's, you know, it, it's... Look... I've been in television a long time and I haven't just done, you know, motorcycle television. And the term reality TV show is probably one of the biggest lies that's been ever fed to people. There's no such thing. Nobody spends hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars on a TV show and takes a chance that they're going to get content. You know, there are things that producers can do to make sure that they get fights, they get arguments, they do stuff. And, you know, it's it's documented all over the place. We had a guy who used to race with us, if you yeah. remember, who was on season two of The Apprentice. And we used to sit down and have a chit chat about all the things that they were doing to them to get them to fight and all that kind of stuff. Formula One almost feels like that now. There's so much money. There's so much stuff on the line. Can you imagine a drama free race? Like, what would that Correct. do to the ratings or whatever? I couldn't so agree it, anymore. It, it, I could be totally wrong, but, but it it's still almost feels like, like built, that. You're 100 percent right. You could be totally wrong. It but it feels exactly what you're saying. And then I really do believe though, Greg, that once you go down that path, it's hard to turn around. Like yeah. you've got to have that continuous uh, yeah. drama. You got to, you got to have it. And, um, and so for me, it's, it's, uh, it's just hard to watch. Anyways, it doesn't matter. It's not something that we talk about all the time. And I'm probably finding no. a lot of F1 Let's get guys, back to motorcycle whatever. racing, yeah, Jason, because one of the news items we missed last week, because the length of the, of the, podcast or because jason was so desperate to talk to whoever we talked to last week was steve english how can oh, steve you... english right steve he didn't mean it yeah i didn't mean it steve um is the fact that moto gp put out their crash report and for 2021 so there's a lot of stuff to talk about in this crash report jay because what crashes tell us is is very interesting it's very insightful so let's go ahead and start out with the racetracks themselves okay so Falls by corner in the top three. Turn three at Le Mans, 37 falls in one weekend. Turn one in Saxon Ring and turn 16 at Mizano. So, Jay, you're intimate with Le Mans. So tell us about turn three at Le Mans and why it would be a situation where in one weekend there are 37 crashes in that mm. one corner over the span of three classes. Mm. Well, you know, I've raced there a bunch of times, and I've got to try to think about if they consider that big, long first turn two corners because I believe the mm. corner that they're probably talking about is the first left-hander at Lama. Uh, it's got a crown right in the middle of it. And you have to remember at that track, it's majority right hand corners. And we hear those guys talking all the time about getting heat and tires and such. 
And at Le Mans, it's generally always cold. You, 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 you know, when we go to the Le Mans for the 24 hour, you can almost be guaranteed rain at some point. And when these guys go to Le Mans, it is kind of the same. And in fact, Greg, I think I remember them talking about trying to move that race into a different time of year because of the weather mm-hmm. uh, being so unpredictable there um, and, and how cold it can be. Uh, and, and especially those cold mornings there at Le Mans. I've, I've been out on a bunch of them. Um, and that, that left-hander, you're coming from a very, very fast turn one, two, se- uh, sector there. That's exactly what it three. is, Jay. So you come onto the front straightaway yep. and then as it sweeps to the right, they call that turns one and two. So turn okay. three is that left-hander. first left-hander. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. You put me on point there and I'm not really, and I wasn't positive, but I did, I did, I did believe that it turned three was the left. And, you know, we see another reason for it, Greg, is because it's a very, very tough, kind of first sector to go through and get all the bikes through. Um, turn one does a little bit of separation, but then it guys are coming into that turn three sector so quickly that um, if somebody just gets their, their breaking off just a little bit, especially somebody from maybe the third, fourth, fifth rows, it's really easy to go in there and take out people. And we've seen that multiple times there where guys kind of get taken out quite a bit there going into, uh, into turn three at Lamas. So, um, what, and what was the other ones? The other one was, um, Oh, was, uh, turn, uh, Saxon I, ring turn number one at Saxon turn ring. One, yeah. That's 22 falls a, there. Type right hander. Yeah. And then and, turn 16 at Mizano. And I'm uh, trying to figure a, out which one that is. Cause I've raced there too. I'm just trying to figure out. Let me, let me look it up real quick. 16 at Mizano. Um, I don't think it's the last, it could be the Would last. Would it be the entrance hander. to the chicane at Mizano? Maybe. Uh, right. No. You have the, you have that, that left, right, and then short shoot. And then that long left hander onto the front straightaway. That's Mizano, right? No, or that's, no, not that's Mizano. Mizano. That's yeah, Mizano. Different, different one. So yeah. 16 there could be the left hander two from the end of the lap. I know that that's where a lot of guys were flinging it. This yeah, year that's in the it. Race. It's the, it's the, fa- yeah. it's the final corner of the lap that left hander at Legion of the straightaway. Legion of the straight. Yeah. A lot of goes, guys were that's going there. clockwise, right? I wrote, I guys- wrote it counterclockwise. So yeah. Correct. And there yeah. was a lot of guys crashing there this year and in the corner preceding that one. Mm-hmm. So, and again, again, I'm sure if you went back and you looked at the weather conditions for the days, that these guys were at those tracks. A lot of them will tell you that cold weather was you know, partially to, to do with this. But when you look at the turn three, 37 falls at Lamont. And then, I mean, turn one at Saxony was second and there was 15 less crashes. That's pretty incredible. It is. And if you look at the statistics in terms of like overall crashes, when you have 18 rounds and stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there were less crashes in say 2014, less crashes than 15, Definitely less crashes, 16, 17, 18, you know. So last year, obviously, there was the least amount of crashes since 2010, but we were also short, a shortened schedule. Right. On this on this crash report, they also break it up into MotoGP crashes, Moto2 crashes, Moto3 crashes. But when you look at the overall, the top crashers of 2021, Iker uh, Lekawona leads the way with 26 on his own. Mark Marquez, Jason, had 22. And how wow. many races did he actually race in this year? Correct. I don't, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty high, huh? I mean, yeah, it's pretty high. And yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know how often we see a MotoGP rider lead the category or at least the top two, but Moto2 was Aaron Kinnett. He had 21 and then Pola Spargaro again, he's P4 at 20, Alex Marquez P19. So this is the thing that's interesting to me. If you look at the top six, yep. three of them. Okay. I'm sorry. Yep. The top five, Jason. Top five. Yeah. 
three of them are Hondas. Yeah, that's telling, isn't it? I mean, it shows it how hard to these me. guys are pushing, and and yeah, I mean, it shows and- it to me. It kind of tells me how on the edge you have to be to try to get the Honda to go fast, and that's why I think Honda's had a complete redesign heading into twenty twenty two. I mean, they're all the riders have said that this bike is brand new, a clean sheet of paper motorcycle. Yep. Yeah. So. Well, I think that that it's telling, and it's also telling that there's five MotoGP guys are four MotoGP guys in the top five. I mean, mm-hmm. with the exception of Aaron Kinnett, it's pretty, it's pretty in, uh, insane that we see, because normally it's like, normally mm-hmm. it's like, you know, Moto3 guys that are kind of the highest crashers, you know? And in this case, our first Moto3 guy is Kaida Toba. He's tied for fifth in the rundown. Um, but yeah, he's 19. Lekawona at 26 is four more than the next. And when you really consider it, Marquez didn't do all the Grand Prix, like you said, he crashed six more times than the next MotoGP guy, which is Paul Espargaro. So, boy, that's pretty telling. It is. It is. Um, 950 falls total for the year. Crazy. In 2000, and looking at from 2010 to 2021, in 2017, 1,126 falls. Is that when we switched? I wonder if that's when we switched. Or was it 16? We switched from Bridgestone to, to Michelin. Michelin, yeah, I can't remember. It was one of those years, um, but very interesting data. If you go to their website and you check it out, it even breaks it down into free practice one, free practice two, free practice three, and so on. And in Moto Moto three, uh, sixty two <laughs> crashes in in wow. free practice three. So I free practice that. three across the board, uh, with the exception of Moto two by one, seems to be uh, the the most crashed session. That's that is generally the morning session of day two. But, and that that to me is fascinating. Well, it's you know? it's riders going back. That, that I'll tell you exactly what that is. This is getting getting with your your data guys, getting with your mechanics and crews, sitting down at dinner, talking about the changes that we've made. Mm-hmm. A rider sitting there going, you know, I know I got another half second in me. I got another three tenths in me. I've got this. I've got that. Going to bed at night, dreaming about you know, or, or closing your eyes initially, thinking about the places that you can pick up and the places that you were struggling. You know that you've just left the track or you're at the track in your motorhome thinking about what you and your crew chief just spoke about. So you're going to sleep with just this abundance of confidence that the next day you are going to be able to find exactly the little areas that you couldn't push through because you had little issues. And so the next morning you go out and you think, all right, this is perfect. Everything feels nice. Weather's good, blah, blah, blah. And you just push over that edge just a little bit too much only to find that maybe whatever you changed wasn't the, the mm-hmm. thing that was going to fix you the most. So when I look at that, I think it's really amazing that you, uh, that, you know, you sent me this this morning to look at. And when I looked at free practice three and saw moto three guys have crashed 62 times this year in moto three, their next session that was their greatest was free practice one at 40. So, you, you know, when you look at that and you think, wow, there was 22 more crashes in in free practice three in the course of the year than free practice one. And you would think that a lot of accidents would happen in free practice one. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty telling, G Dub. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting data just to crunch around, especially for Correct. you know a, a numbers nerd like me. Um, Jay Yamaha sent out a press release that they are selling twenty-one replicas of Top Rack's championship-winning bike. <laughs> Each of these exclusive Yamaha R1 machines will be built in the Crescent Racing Pro Shop using the experience wow. and skills amassed during the last six seasons running the official Yamaha World Superbike Project. What do you think about that? I mean, you know, looking Yamaha. I hate to point the finger, but 
I haven't seen a Cameron Bobier replica. Haven't well, seen a Jake Gagne replica. It's the saying. first time they've won the championship since 2009. And I think my my most well, other than the production side of it, my most telling fact is why didn't they make 54 of them? You know, oh, I yeah. mean, as far as it being top rack, 54 seemed like it would have been the number to make. Dude, so. can you imagine if you're Crescent and you're like, we're building 54 mm. hand built Yamaha R1 race bikes with 220 horse or whatever? Oh it my is. god. That would yeah. be 21. They did 21 because of the year. And I think that's yeah, no, probably I, a, a I bit more that, manageable. I, trying I to get that parts out, for yeah, can 54 you imagine, bikes. Can you oh, imagine sheesh. trying to do it? But I thought, you know, just the fact that Top Rack was 54, that that would be a nice little thing. But Dude, how cool but, yeah. would it be if someone from the States got their hands on one of those things That'd and rolled great. it out to winter at Chuckwalla? That's okay. I got I got Stamboli down the road. If I if I if I'd love to just have one of those to just pedal around. I still haven't got over that, so... I know how good these bikes are and it'd be fun to, um, you know, be fun to have Paul Denning on here too someday. So maybe we could reach out and talk to him because he's, he loves all this kind of stuff with, with what they're doing with Top Rack. You know, I mean, uh, the team's been in the paddock for a long time for them to win the championship and be able to celebrate it with certain things like this, I think are really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Just as much as we think it's cool that Aprilia has a Caleb DeCarroll Moto America replica oh, yeah. 650 out for sale. And if you go so to, cool. if you go to Aprilia.com, I mean, you can actually just scroll down on the main page and there's a look at the bike and you can see details of that bike. I think it's really cool. Now, um, let's see, what's the next topic I'm going to talk about? Well, I'm a little sketched out by talking about this, but I'm going to anyway, because you're going to hear about it first. I came across something that's very interesting to me, Jay. It looks like Moto America. It doesn't look like it's true. Moto America has started their own web-based TV channel. It's something that streams 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it's on StreamStack, which is S-T-E-A-M-S-T-A-K.com. So if you go to StreamStack.com slash Moto America TV, you'll be able to see it. And there hasn't been a press release about it yet, and I called some people that I know, and I kind of hear that there's a release coming out about it, but it's available to watch, and it's really great on your phone I also watch it on my computer, but you have to turn, like, if you have, like, ad blocker off, you have to turn it off. But currently, it's on, like, you can get, you can find Moto America TV on Distro TV, which is available through Roku and Apple TV and Android and Fire and all that kind of stuff. Um, Local Now and Sports.TV have it. And there are more networks that are coming up. I think that's why they haven't sent out a press release yet. But you've heard it here first if you haven't heard about it. If you like Moto America racing and you just want to see race after race after race, especially if you're out in your garage working or whatever, then it's it's linked in the description below in this podcast. Streamstack, just S-T-A-K dot com slash Moto America TV will get you there if you want to check it out. There is a schedule. You can click on the schedule so you can kind of see what races are coming up. Uh, when I was looking at it this morning, they were running some like 2022 Twins Cup stuff, you know, and, and all that stuff. So... Very interesting move by Moto America. And I, I I really like the move. I mean, Jay, streaming's kind of the way it's going these days, you know? No, there's no question. And it's great to see that Moto America is doing that. And I mean, we got to watch Aussie Superbike this weekend because it was streamed and I loved it. I thought it was really it's it's I think it's important globally for all these national series to be able to share each other's races and let people see what's going on around the world and continue to create that content and uh excitement around things because it's, it goes without saying if if think about this if if you end up watching all these races and why wouldn't Wayne Maxwell who just won the Australian Superbike Championship for Ducati he'd probably want to come over here and race mm-hmm. it would give all of us now we all kind of know who he is a little bit more obviously I know Wayne pretty well um, and all those guys uh, but 
I mean, I would love to see like some of the Japanese Superbike, uh, obviously BSB, and some of the ones around the world that maybe we don't get to see all the time. If there was a way it can stream, it gives all of us a, an opportunity to do that. And being able to, you know, pay a little bit to be able to watch that stuff is something that I would definitely be be interested in doing. So, but Moto America just continues to keep on making improvements, putting the product out there for more and more people to continue to watch, continue to see, and uh, and I think that like we talked about, you know, overall uh, a few of the podcasts back. I think the fact that the Moto America is going to be running the Daytona 200 is just another big stomp in the sandbox for them that they're putting their footprint somewhere else. And it's going to give people an opportunity to watch it even more now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, yeah. Great. Well, you want to talk about the actual racing that we got to see this weekend? Yeah, it was great. You know, when I was trying to think about this and you and I, I think, I think we, you and I were texting about this. Um, we got to watch the Aussie Superbike Championships. Now, obviously, they had some issues, big issues with COVID over there, so there was a, a big layoff. But Wayne Maxwell ended up winning the championship uh, this weekend, did it in dominating fashion too, getting pole position, winning the races. Talks of retirement now for Wayne um, as he's as he's won the last couple of championships on the Ducati over there. The people that I know over there that I was asking about it don't think that he will retire. They think he'll come back again. Um but it was really interesting to watch that track. The bend is a new one that I think came just a couple of years ago, gave us a chance to see the likes of Glenn Allerton, who's a three time Australian Superbike champ, Ollie Bayless, who's getting ready to leave and go race the V2 over in world super sport. Um, but more importantly, I just thought, you know, you don't want to take anything away from the regulars that do it. I just thought it was incredible that Jack Miller just decides I'm going to go race this race. And you could just tell, yeah, as a racer, the results always matter. But he was on something that wasn't really quite to the class of the other bikes. But he looked like he just had a blast. And he looked like he was there for all the right reasons. Just enjoying himself, putting himself out there in front of the Australian fans who haven't got to see a MotoGP race in a couple of years. And I was just, I, I loved watching all of it. I thought it was great. I watched the Super Sport races. I watched some of the Junior Cup stuff. And it was really good to watch. I couldn't agree more. Jack knew exactly what he was doing. He yeah. knew that his fame would give this a shot in the arm, and it did. The crowd looked absolutely fantastic. The track looked very interesting. A lot of elevation did, changes yeah. to it, and, and it looked yep. pretty good. And um, I thought it uh, it's it's difficult over there because of how their series works. I think they had quite a big layoff, didn't they, from, from their last Correct. race to this final race of the year. And I believe that's why Troy Herfoss was still – you know, kind of in the mix because he had a horrendous accident, broke mm-hmm. himself up. If you go to Troy Herfoss's Instagram, you'll see he had to basically learn how to walk again and some things like that. Uh, he came back for this race. And as we saw for race two, he wasn't able to make the start just because he was still in too much pain. But his accident, I think, Greg, was four, five, six months ago. And because of COVID, it allowed him the time, you know, they, they weren't running races, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it allowed him time to kind of heal up. Uh, to the extent where he thought he could try to come back and ride. Josh Hook also came back to ride at this event, but it wasn't much of an event for him. He had some pretty bad luck. Um, but it was still great to watch. And I think it was, I mean, Greg, I, one of the few championships that Yamaha didn't win this year. Yeah, um, seriously. You know, um, it was pretty pretty wild to watch some of that. But we were laughing because in the they had a race restart on race one. And they did like a three lap sprint, and poor Jack couldn't get that Ducati <laughs> off the line. To save oh himself. man, it was this, the 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 restart of race one. 
he actually got a decent launch. The got first launch, launch was garbage. And then the two starts he had in race two were absolutely <laughs> so bad. Yeah. It was just clunk, clunk, clunk. I mean, the thing to point out, though, the Australian Superbike Series rules for Superbike <laughs> class specifically are are different than our rules. Yes. Our rules are, are more in a line with, with World Superbike. We're allowed... Um, you know, Magneti Morelli electronics and some other electronics there were allowed a lot of modifications on the top end of the engine, swing arms, forks, a lot of stuff. Australian Superbike isn't like that. And so if you look at really kind of the overall structure of Australian Superbike in terms of they're really close to stock motorcycles, they are allowed kit ECUs. And the other thing too is, and I think that this helped is the fact that Australian Superbike has tire, has a tire war going on. They do. I like that. I like it too. So, you know, Pirelli, Michelin, and Dunlop, I think, are the three dominant tires that compete in that category. Jack Miller, being from MotoGP and riding under Michelin rubber, got to ride that. That and oh, by the way, one of Rossi's old mechanics is like the one of the lead technicians for Michelin. Um, I don't think he was too happy about being on the Michelins. Well, I think that the track. There's a lot Pirelli of factors. Kind of, Pirelli kind of dominates that championship from it, what it, I understand. They, they do dominate that championship. And I don't think that Michelin, I mean, after the first I don't think restart. Michelin has a very big presence there is what I'm saying in Australia. Maybe no, they do, I, but well, I don't, I don't think know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they do. The and they definitely didn't have a tire that could go the distance. You Correct. know what I mean? Like the stage was set. Steve Martin, the commentator, he kind of set the stage. So, so what people I think are a little bit confused about, and I know that you're not a big fan of, and I don't think Jack is either, but when you are a MotoGP racer, and you're under the FIM guidelines and FIM rules against testing, there are certain rules and parameters that are set in place. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that people kind of abuse the rules over the years. Um, and basically what it areas, says right? is, yeah, yeah the kind of gray area. So what people were doing was getting basically full-blown super bikes and saying, well, we're not testing a MotoGP bike. And it was like, well, that's not very fair for other people. So then it came down to electronics. So in essence, what happens if you're a MotoGP rider and you're not in your test days, your allotted test days that you're allowed during the course of the season that are you know non-race weekends, you have to ride a stock motorcycle with a couple exceptions. Obviously, those exceptions are for safety and ergonomics, you know, but so so Jack was actually on a bike that he had to have a stock tank. And I think that the Australian Superbike Championship allows for a larger tank. So he's on a stock tank, so fuel was a concern. But also, he was on the stock ECU, just like if you bought it right off the showroom yeah. floor. Yeah, he and was the giving fact up that a he lot. got you the could, result. Yeah, he was, and and you, you know, tell. he was he was right at track record pace. You know, set back in 2019. I mean, Maxwell just, I mean, he set the Maxwell tone, ended up dude. breaking he was, it. He ended up breaking the lap record, I believe, over and over and over. And again, he was incredible actually. to watch. I mean, and it, the bike looked amazing. It was stable. It did all those things great. Jack's bike. The restart of race one, the three lap restart, going back to it. <laughs> It was like, it was like every Australian superbike rider's dream to just try to go stuffing it up underneath Miller, and he was getting <laughs> abused in the first few corners. And Aiden Wagner actually ends up cleaning him out. And I'm sitting there, and I text Greg right off the bat. I'm like, "What do you think Claudio's thinking right now, sitting in his living room?" Claudio you know, Cordy, yeah, Claudio, yeah, Claudio Domicelli, yeah, Domicelli. He's sitting there, you know, having a coffee and and watching his rider getting tumbled down the road but see this is the thing that's that's a bummer about our sport because like you think about the impact that something like that would have if i don't know like you know you just take a marquez he he just goes back and runs a quick little cev race in spain or i mean that the the fact that jack did this being the number four rider in the world 
doing it on a bike that he knew wasn't going to be the same spec as everybody else, but having the humility to not really care about that and giving, giving the two guys credit in Allerton and Maxwell about, Hey, these guys rode amazing. Um, and, and I mean, he was getting caught pretty quickly there at the end. Um, was it Falzon yep. or holiday? I can't remember who was, it was, catching ha- it was him holiday. I believe. Holiday was catching him. Um, there at the Race end too. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. Cause he only gets tires. Yeah. Most of yep. the tires, Jack's tires were gone. But the thing was, is that I'm sitting there thinking to myself and you could just kind of tell Jack's person personality. It didn't really matter to him. He was there for the reasons that were all the right ones. Um, putting Australian Superbike championship first, the fans being able to be there with the fans, being able to go back home and enjoy riding and racing. Sure. We all want to win. I mean, he, he would have loved to have won. But I think the perspective that he kept was pretty fun, and and it just did a lot. And I was texting Steve Martin a little bit about it, and it was it was just such a cool thing. And I mean, the fact that he's just doing his interviews on the grid and all that stuff, I, I just thought it was really, really good to see and good to watch. And I'm glad that we were able to see that streamed. It will not surprise me if post Jack Miller's career in MotoGP that he identifies that he wasn't a big fan of all the political stuff, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the bubbles that people live in, in MotoGP. I think Jack Miller, if he ends up, when he ends up done with MotoGP, a world superbike paddock and the feel of the world superbike paddock and the, the friendliness of the world superbike paddock, it's still competitive, but it's a lot more relaxed. Kind of seems like it would suit Jack Miller a little bit better. You know, it's something that Scott Russell talked about. I, I couldn't something agree with Colin Edwards talked about over the years. You know, I mean, when we were at, um, we had World Superbike at uh, Miller Motorsports Park. I can remember Max Biaggi, who was riding at the time, was out there cooking food for everybody. Like yeah. he was just cooking steaks on a grill. And I'm thinking, man, there's something you don't, you would never see at a GP event. And it's you know? too bad that the MotoGP paddock has that stigma. You would think that there'd be people that are trying to change that. And if you look at the the riders in MotoGP right now, it's so much more friendly between riders than it used to be. You know? Totally, yeah. And you don't see, yeah, there's still, there's still edginess, especially when they're on track and qualifying and somebody gets in your way and you give them kind of like the FU sign and you, whatever. But it just seems like the continuity amongst the paddock is so much more chill than it used to be. And I think that a lot of that gets... World Superbike isn't like that at all. It's a very, very mellow paddock you can no, walk and, down the I, middle of. And I think we're seeing more friendliness in MotoGP because what you're seeing is really two dominant feeder series that are feeding it, meaning yeah. like the Spanish Championship and the Italian Championship. You know, MotoGP used to be a separation of the top bikes and top riders. They were coming from all over the world. You know what I mean? You have people from Australia, people from the UK, people from Italy, people from Spain, people from the US that didn't grow up racing together, that are running into each other for the first time. You know, you had guys like uh, like Wayne Rainey and, and Kevin Schwantz who are, who are bitter rivals. So it didn't matter they were from the US. They just didn't like each other. And I don't think you see that. I think you, know, you see a lot of these photos now that are coming out like, hey, look, this was a mo- these three guys who won these championships, whatever, whatever it was, they're like a moto three team from six years ago. And you're like, Oh yeah. And, like and that's the, really the last guy that I can really think of it is Marquez. When Marquez jumped up into moto GP, he was the first guy, the last guy, I should say that kind of had the screw everybody else. I'm, I'm winning. And that's just yeah. how it's going to be. And I don't give a shit what everybody thinks because now you got a lot of these moto two, moto three riders that get bumped up to moto GP 
And there isn't that air of cockiness or brashness about any of them. They're all very respectful to the guys that have paved the way for them before. Yeah. And, you know, you look at like, like the only guy I can think of right now is Jorge Martin. He's the guy that kind of is the, the guy that looks like he could stick it to some of the, some of the established. It's going to go into his second year next year. Um, but he still has the, the smile and, and the, the feel of a guy that has the respect of everybody else. So anyways, it just feels that way to me. And I think that, I think that, uh, moving forward, I, I, I agree with you. I think Jack would be so well suited in like the world Superbike paddock or whatever. I think it would be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's doing great now. I'm not saying he should, I mean, he's, he's obviously factory level rider for a reason. He's gotten some great results, especially towards the end of the season, but, um, he just seems to have that personality, you know, and he, he just seems like a fun loving guy. So yeah. anyway, I mean, other than that, you know, congratulations to Maxwell for, for winning the championship. I congratulations, Jack Miller, who ended up DNFing the first race, like Jason talked about, but ended up on the podium barely in the second race. And I think the question on my mind was exactly what the pit reporter asked, which was how does this compare to a MotoGP podium? And, uh, I can imagine there was a lot of satisfaction in there. It, I think that Australian Superbike did a good job of covering the races uh, and, and away from the races. If you watch the feed the whole time, there was some great stuff of of uh, Jack Miller and Ollie Bayless sitting there just signing autograph after autograph after autograph. And Jack made mention to it many times that hey, MotoGP fans haven't seen Australian, uh, haven't seen a race in Australia or him, you know, in two years. And I think that they gave him a little sample. I think the only thing that could have been better is if Remy Garner showed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If Remy Garner showed up to race too. But yep, it would have been Jack, fun. Jack's a little bit more uh, Australian than I think uh, some of the other riders. You know, kind of like uh, Fabio Quattararo. Everybody says he's from France, and it's true, but he spent most of his life in Spain. Yeah, you know, and that's, yep, absolutely. That's the, way, that's the way a lot of it ends up. So you have these people from a certain country, but they may not have the connection that someone running up through a domestic series has. And Jack is just a hometown guy. You know, he goes home to Australia in the in the – his summertime, our winter, he buys bikes from the local dealership. He doesn't get them, you know, for free and stuff. And from what I was told from Chad Reed, who had been texting um, Jack Miller, they're pretty tight. And Chad yep. and I were texting about this situation because Chad was checking in with me. He was busy with his kids. So he's checking in with me on the results that um, I think that the bike that Jack had purchased was already sold to someone else. And he did kind of beat it up pretty bad. So we'll see okay. if that, that sale holds up or not, but he did mention finally that Ducati had looked into it for him, but they just didn't have any Pentagallis no that, that were for sale. Every, wasn't the second bike sold. that he raced wasn't like, it wasn't even his, it was a borrowed bike, borrowed bike. It so. was a backup of somebody else's Pretty bike. Sick. So yeah, he's, I, I he's do, but the story I don't know is, you know, they, they would have, if that bike had electronics on it during the, the couple hour break they had after the races, they would have had to rip those electronics off and then put the stock stuff on. So yeah. I'm guessing that that bike was not only a backup bike, but it, it definitely was in spec because Jack doesn't want to get fined or penalized or whatever for yeah, breaking like I would those love rules. The penalty is to be racing a, a bike in Australia. In a, in we know a, that because somebody yeah. got busted. Yeah, but what somebody they got do? busted on doing him- a track day. Remember? Was yeah, it? Yeah, but. They gonna make, or something? They, they're going to make him sit out first session of the year at Doha. You know, it's like, yeah. what? what's the penalty? You know, already a five second Stupid. penalty. Yeah. Race control's already gotten involved. Well, look, it's a short podcast, folks, but not a whole lot going on here in December. I mean, we talked about what we have. Next week, we're going to have Johnny Ray on the podcast live. So um, if you're listening to this and you want us to ask Johnny a specific question before, say, I don't know, maybe at the latest Sunday night of this week. So we're at December. 
8th, this podcast post. So obviously by the Sunday night, if you have a question, go ahead and you know tweet it to Jason or myself or send us a direct message over the Instagram or however you get a hold of us. Um, and we'll maybe ask Johnny the question. If, if all of you are going to ask if you can have Johnny's replica from the race <laughs> where he used the Kawasaki ZX-7 bodywork. Yeah, uh, Argentina. Don't ask. Cause yeah, Argentina don't ask. Cause that's my question. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, pretty sick stuff that he had there. No, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, next week will be fun. I'm, I'm out of here today. G-Dub. I I'm leaving. I'm headed to Chuckwalla. I've got a, I've got a busy couple few days there. Is Chuck- it race? Is it race weekend race already week. at Chucky? It's race race week at Chuckwalla. So I'm excited about it. Um, Ooh, I hear you get to ride a bike too. I'm excited to hear what I do. If you can talk, talk about it or not. Yeah. yeah I'll find out. I'll let you guys know. Uh, you know, I don't think it's that big a deal, but yeah, I'm going to be testing a bike on Friday a little bit and, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a fun, uh, a fun couple days. Then we got the races on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, but I'm going to rip home Sunday night. I got Andrew Lee with me. I'll, I'll rip home Sunday night. And then I got to, I got to go back out there the following Thursday, G-Dub for Femwalla on Friday. Ah, Femwalla is so awesome. That's great. Yep. Femwalla Friday. You'll be giving two uprides all day? All day Friday. I'll be doing that. Saturday, Sunday is SoCal track days. And then we'll hang out Monday, Tuesday. I mean, by then, Greg, it's the 20th and 21st. It'll be, it'll be Christmas, you know? It'll be Christmas. Hey, by the way, think about this. For a guy who's running a Johnny Ray replica helmet in David Kolb, the opportunity to have no racing and have a CVMA weekend and the possibility of talking about Kolb, his lap times and how bad he is at racing, we might have to skip that if we spend too much time with Johnny Ray. Yeah, it's a hard one to skip because Kolb is just he's he's got a he's got an air of cockiness about him right now. Mm. You know what I mean? Sure, but I do, dude. He's got that he's got I that could, Formula sixty plus championship if to I could win or Get your leathers on and you know, do some pillow stuffing in there and Get out there and pretend I'm G-Dub and smoke him. You know Dude, what I mean? There's $11 in it for you if you do that. Wow. With one and a half good eyes. How's your eye doing? Eh. But eh. listen, if you give that $11 to your mom and she invests it inside of a slot machine. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you could earn yourself 14000 bucks. I told my mom. I said, you go to the casino every day if you want, mom. You're on a streak right now. You know, you got to, while you're running hot, you got to get on it. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't let up right now. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Anyways. called a callback in comedy, how I tied the whole podcast it's together. Very cute. You did a nice job there. We'll see everybody in a week's time. Looking forward to next week's podcast. And have an awesome weekend as usual, everyone, especially if you're spending it on your bike.